Hello and welcome to the Nourish Practice podcast, a podcast focused on all things intuitive eating, intuitive movement and helping you heal your relationship to food while moving away from diet culture in hopefully a nice relaxed way. There'll be a mixture of solo episodes and guest interviews. Any topics you would like included just send me a DM on Instagram at Nourish Practice and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So this week we have wonderful guest Dr Claire Petit. She is a UK and Singapore registered dietitian working in both private practice and in academia. Claire has years of experience working across many areas of dietetics including in the NHS, in research and in private practice but her specialist interest is in women's health, nutrition especially PCOS and fertility and she takes a non-diet approach to supporting her patients with PCOS. So you can see how she fits with everything that we've got going on here. It was lovely to chat to Claire all the way from Singapore. Um, every now and again there might be a tiny bit of lag on the audio. I've tried to deal with it as best I can but do stick with it. The conversation was really enlightening and I'm a big fan of all of Claire's adding and not subtracting mindset um, and her quick fire question answers were great. Before we start this episode as you would have seen it is called PCOS and intuitive eating. That means we are going to talk a little bit about fertility, reproductive health. If those topics are a little too much for you, maybe come back next week or look through the back catalogue and return when maybe you're ready to or if it serves you. This week we'll welcome Claire onto the podcast. So welcome Claire. Um, Is there anything you want to say to introduce yourself to anyone listening? Um, What you do, what you focus on, anything about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, So I'm a a registered dietitian and my main um, kind of area of interest or my passion area is PCOS. So I help um, people who've got PCOS um, to um, manage their condition and to uh, live a healthy and happy life. So yeah, that's my kind of me in a nutshell. Perfect. And that actually lends us on very nicely into some sort of questions that I had for today. So first thing, I know I've heard PCOS quite a lot. It seems to be there's a lot more awareness about it. But if someone didn't necessarily know what PCOS is, how would you summarise it or how would you explain it to someone? Yeah, sure. So PCOS, it stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. And this is one of the most um, common um, endocrine conditions or hormonal disorders that we see in women um, and women of reproductive age. Although actually, there's, um, you, you could say it actually still goes on to affect you through menopause as well. But I think there's more and more research around that now, which is exciting. Um, but it, it normally affects around, I'd say, between 10 and 25% of, of women, although actually some people say that's an underdiagnosed figure, so it could actually be higher. Um, typically, it takes quite a lot, long time to be diagnosed with PCOS, and it can be quite a struggle to get a diagnosis. So because it's a syndrome, so in the name, polycystic ovary syndrome, it, that means it's a collection of symptoms, and it, it can present differently in different people. So that can also contribute to why it's quite hard to diagnose and also be quite challenging to manage as well. Um, So in order to get the diagnosis of PCOS, basically you need to have um, two out of three criteria. So there's a a few different um, types of criteria that people might use to diagnose PCOS, but the most common one is called Rotterdam criteria. And basically what you're looking for is two out of the three. So the first one is having cysts on your ovaries. Um, So traditionally they would 
find that by having um, a ultrasound. So when they first discovered this condition, basically they saw that on an ultrasound, women had lots and lots of um, cyst-like structures on their ovaries, but um, it's actually a bit misleading because they're not really cysts, they're actually um, follicles. So in a normal, in a normal menstrual cycle, basically, um, you would have a follicle which would mature and release an egg, um, but in PCOS this doesn't happen. And so the follicles, the immature follicles stay on your ovaries, but they, on a scan, they look like cysts. So hence it got its name polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, and in PCOS, you would have quite a few of those cysts on your ovaries. Um, so that's the first thing that they look for is whether or not you have those cysts on your ovaries. Um, then the second thing is actually um, looking at your period health, so whether or not you have irregular periods or not. Um, so one of the um, consequences of PCOS is actually having an irregular menstrual cycle. Um, so you, it, it can be quite helpful if you if you you know think that you might have something um, going on with your with your hormones or perhaps that you might have PCOS is to track your menstrual cycles because they will ask you you know how often are your cycles um, how regular um, how many do you have in a year um, basically if they're outside of the normal range so your average menstrual cycle is um, 28 days but very very few people actually have a menstrual cycle that long um, is the range that should like kind of normal ranges between um, 21 to 35 days so outside of that range with what would be classed as irregular um, so so if, if you can track your cycles and try to figure out what your cycle length is then that can help in the diagnosis of PCOS so we've got cysts on ovaries and we've got irregular periods and then the third criteria is having um, either uh, clinical signs or biochemical signs so either having symptoms of or actually having a blood test done to show that you have high levels of um, androgens which are uh, male type hormones so the the classic one that we tend to measure for PCOS is actually testosterone but there are others um, and these having high levels of these hormones tends to lead to symptoms like excess um, facial hair growth um, so like on your chin on your um, neck sometimes on your belly or your back um, it can also contribute to things like hair thinning, so what we would call like a male pattern balding, so you get kind of hair loss on your head, and then also things like acne. So those are all the clinical signs of these high androgen levels, so you don't necessarily have to have a blood test to get this um, criteria kind of ticked off. If you have physical symptoms, then that could be enough to say, yes, you've got hyperandrogenism or high um, testosterone levels for example so basically you need to have two out of those three to get a diagnosis so this is also why you know it, PCS looks different in different women um, and actually the the kind of consequences also will depend on the kind of PCS that you have so uh, in, in terms of I guess the the knock-on effects of having this PCOS diagnosis, what does that mean for you um, which is I think probably what's really key in, in um, uh, education around PCOS. Often women are, are told, hey, look, you've got PCOS, you know, go away, lose weight, take the pill, maybe it'll help, you know, balance mm -hmm. your cycle and reg regulate your hormones. But actually, if they understand what's going on, then it, they're more likely to be able to make lifestyle changes to, to help um, manage those symptoms. So some of the things that, that having PCOS um, can influence in the long run, um, it can, obviously, we've got menstrual dysfunction, so those irregular 
cycles. So that can then actually lead to things like infertility. Um, you can have um, other reproductive health issues. So things like uh, pregnancy related complications or even endometrial cancer. And I'd say those are the things that it's more classically known for because actually it's typically a, a reproductive health issue. But we, the more we know about PCOS, the more we realize it's actually so much more than that. And it's not just about reproductive issues. There's also a huge impact on metabolic health. And so um, this is kind of, we see that probably around 80% of women with PCOS have insulin resistance. And so this is basically one of the driving forces of, of PCOS. And having insulin resistance basically means that although your body's producing insulin, it's not really recognizing that it's there. And so there's this kind of resistance to insulin, which will increase your risk of diabetes, as well as things like cardiovascular disease, uh, metabolic syndrome, um, and actually having high levels of insulin can also drive the production of those um, male type hormones, the, the um, testosterone. So it's a bit of a a bit of a catch-22 you know that, that one thing makes the other thing worse and, and actually the other way around as well having high testosterone can also lead to insulin resistance so i guess that's kind of pcos in a bit of a nutshell although it wasn't that short was it <laughs> <laughs> no i it's been like i said where i've seen it more and more i would say on things like instagram and social media it can get a bit confusing and a lot of things can be attributed so it's nice to have it sort of wrapped up very nicely um that leads us on to how would you say from what you've seen from when you've worked with people how diet affects PCOS I've seen um, I've written some articles on like how intuitive eating can be used with PCOS because like you said often people are told oh lose weight or go on a diet um, but how does diet affect PCOS or maybe why you wouldn't be recommended to go on that sort of strict diet because it's metabolic yeah um so actually um We've got some really nice international guidelines um, which were updated this year um, which look at PCOS, the diagnosis, the management treatment of PCOS and diet is like their first line treatment so diet plays a really big role um, but unfortunately I think that is translated into um, perhaps medical clinical practice as okay, go away and lose weight because that's what most people are told when they get a PCOS diagnosis you know just go away lose weight cut maybe cut carbs, um, you know, that should help. Um, in actual fact, around probably 60% of people with PCOS are on a diet. And I think they end up in this kind of dieting, yo-yo dieting cycle because they do try everything um, because they, the, the message that they receive is that diet, dieting is the answer um, and weight loss is the answer. But actually, when we look at the guidelines, they do recommend diet and lifestyle to be part of the first line treatment, but they say clearly there is no one specific diet that that is going to help resolve PCOS and actually healthy eating principles, you know, the really non sexy <laughs> standard healthy eating principles are probably the way to go. Um, there's obviously nuance to that. And there's like lots of research out there or it's growing anyway in PCOS around different diets that you could try, but I guess the underlying kind of message is that there's no one magic bullet. There's no one fad diet that's going to completely help you with mm. PCOS. But when we look at, I guess, studies that do uh, use dietary changes to try to improve PCOS, 
then you can definitely see an improvement in things like insulin resistance. So you get more insulin sensitivity. You can see changes in hormone levels. You can see uh, a change in those symptoms that we talked about. So um, the hair growth or the acne, those sorts of things. And it can also have a really big impact on um, just generally stabilizing blood sugars and blood sugar control, um, which will help in terms of um, re reducing insulin resistance as well. Um, there's also a potential role around um, gut health, the gut microbiome. There's more and more that we're learning about how gut, um, gut microbiome has an impact on so many health conditions, but we see that people who've got PCOS tend to have, um, uh, they're more likely to have dysbiosis. So uh, much fewer um, types of bacteria in their, in their gut. Um, and so we, we, I mean, we don't really know much more than that yet, but um, it's super interesting to see how actually there's so many factors um, underlying the kind of pathogenesis of PCOS. So like, as I mentioned before, the, the insulin resistance um, and the high hormone levels are kind of the um, driving forces, but there's also this um, low grade inflammation that we often see in PCOS. And we know that diet, diet um, changes can help improve um, inflammation. So having a very kind of anti-inflammatory style diet for, in line with a Mediterranean diet can, can you know, make a big difference in terms of improving inflammatory markers. So there's lots that we can do with diet. And I think it is really important. But what's actually really important is to know that the classic, uh, you know, as we know, dieting, doesn't necessarily work for PCOS because it's actually much harder for people with PCOS to lose weight because they've got insulin resistance, you know, they've got all those hormones fighting against the weight loss. It's actually really, really challenging. So just having a, you know, advice that says go away and lose weight, it, it really isn't helpful. Um, and it actually can lead people down the path of, you know, yo-yo dieting. And in fact, people with PCOS are at higher, um, the higher risk of eating disorders, especially um, binge eating. So if you think about your classic you know, dieting cycle, especially if you say to someone, go away and cut carbs, well, actually, if you, you know, don't eat enough, you maybe skip breakfast and you have a really like salad for lunch um, and, and there's nothing actually sustaining you, by the time you get to your evening meal, you are ravenous, you're overwhelmed with hunger and actually they're more, um likely to end up overeating in that instance and they can get into this real cycle of the you know binge restrict cycle and it it's not only the dieting that's pushing that it's also the physiology of, of pcos so in my mind dieting is not the answer for pcos but there are definitely dietary changes that can help support your pcos symptoms so one of the principles of intuitive eating is dealing with your emotions with kindness so with pcos being hormonal does it have an effect on emotional eating and your mood and would you say that is a factor as well when it comes to that dietary intake and dealing with PCOS yeah I think that's a really really important point and for me when I work with clients with PCOS I very much very often will use intuitive eating framework because it fits so nicely and I know I mentioned the reproductive health issues metabolic health issues but I think the psychological health impacts of PCOS are really under-recognized and, and underestimated as well I think um, like I mentioned already we know that you're more likely to um, be at risk of things like eating disorders but there's also a much higher incidence of things like depression anxiety body image issues all 
um, in, in people who've got PCOS. So I think dealing with the psychological side of things is actually really, really um, important and critical part of managing PCOS. Like it's not just about here's the diet to, to help solve your problem. You have to dig deeper than that. Um, and I would say that managing your, um, I guess teaching and, and exploring emotional eating with people is a really key part of um, uh, managing binge eating, but also accepting that all foods can play a role um, and, and that it's not, you know, there's no off limit foods in, in terms of um, a PCOS diet in, in um, I'm using quotation marks because I don't think there's a PCOS diet, but you know, there's nothing that you need to avoid. So it's accepting that and actually appreciating that that food can be comforting, but exploring other ways to comfort yourself and to look after yourself. So self-care and, you know, managing your emotions is a really key part of managing PCOS. Amazing. Um, love that intuitive eating works. So what are some common misconceptions when it comes to PCOS, whether diet or otherwise? Are there anything that you encounter quite often? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the first one, uh, which I mentioned a few times, is actually that you just need to lose weight to control PCOS. You know, I, I, I mean, we can see from um, the, the prevalence of PCOS and the types of PCOS that you can get you can have what we call lean PCOS. So actually you can still have PCOS, but in a slimmer body, in a smaller body, right? So we know that weight isn't actually the only underlying issue. So it really, I, I, I would love if all doctors treated PCOS in you know, the same way. But if you think about, um, you know, there's so much weight stigma around weight um, and PCOS, when people go to the doctor, I've had clients who, who put, put off going to the doctor or actually when they do go in fact I had a few clients over COVID who had their appointments over the phone and um, actually the one I'm thinking of was a, a lovely lady with PCOS but had lean PCOS and the doctor didn't even ask her about her size about her diet or anything else she just told her that she had to lose weight she didn't need to lose weight in the slightest <laughs> so you know even even by you know it, it, it was, I want to say lazy medicine. Like, it, it's not, it's not the best approach. Mm. And actually it, it leads to other generic advice, like cutting out carbs, cutting out gluten, cutting out dairy. You know, most of these fatty type diets that you can find, you know, if you go on the internet, look for how, you know, best diet for PCOS and especially the dairy one, there's a lot of um, people who would promote, um, uh, dairy-free diet for uh, managing PCOS because of the link potential link with inflammation and obviously acne is a, a common symptom of PCOS so people will cut things out for no real reason because if we look at the evidence actually first of all there's not very much evidence in PCOS but in fact if you look at the um, the science behind dairy and um, inflammation actually some of the studies show that it might actually be anti-inflammatory um, and, and if you, in terms of the studies that actually um, look at people with acne, not specifically with PCOS, but just with acne, um, they found that having a 
dairy product that is uh, normal fat, so not a lower fat or fat-free product, um, causes less impact on, on um, uh, acne than going for something low fat or you know, even fat free. So those traditional like low calorie, dairy free, like all those sorts of advice, they don't actually have a lot of evidence behind them, but they're, I guess those easy to follow in some regards, you know, it's easier to say, I'm gonna cut this out of my diet than it is to focus on what can you um, add to make it really nutritious and exciting. You know, that's that's how I would tend to approach it with people because actually, it's not about what you cut out. It's about what can you include that's going to help you manage your symptoms. That's going to help you improve your health. Mm. Um, so those, I guess, those are the biggest misconceptions that are really common: is the losing weight and the cutting things out. You know, there's absolutely no need. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for add, not subtract. So. To sort of finish the discussion off, if someone has just been diagnosed or thinks maybe they have PCOS, where would you recommend starting? What would be their next step? Yeah, so, I mean, if you've been diagnosed and you've got a, a GP who's who's given you that diagnosis, I would really push for a, a referral to a dietitian. Um, now, obviously, it's not always a very um, quick or easy uh, route, but um, if you're struggling to see a dietitian um, and you, you know your doctor's not that um, forthcoming, there's so many resources online now, but just be mindful about where you get your information from. Um, try to find someone who's you know qualified and who's got the um, education behind them, but also who specialises in women's health um, and isn't just someone who has PCOS and tells you this is the way I've managed my symptoms and it worked for me it will work for you um, so just be careful I guess who you get your information from there's a re there's a really good charity in the UK called Verity which is a totally focused on PCOS they do a lot of really good work so they've got um, support groups and they support a lot of research in PCOS so have a look at um, their site because they've got a lot of um, great resources as well so I would start there Amazing. Just made a note so I can put it um, in the link. So we have a sort of quick fire finish. Feel free to elaborate as much as okay. you like. Quick is very much just, just the name. <laughs> so first thing, what is your favourite food, food group, meal, etc.? Yeah, this is actually a very hard question because I love food. Um, but I think when I think about this question, it's for me, it's all about memories. For, for me, my favourite foods are about memories and things that I did um, so I would say mangoes um, when I was younger we lived abroad we lived in Saudi and my dad used to go away on business trips and he would come back and he'd say well before he came back he would say what would you like me to bring you and I always ask for a box of mangoes <laughs> and they're so good that like you just the flavor of yeah. those mangoes were amazing so that, that's like my favorite food memory of um, yeah mangoes I said mango is very brisk. As soon as you said it, my brain sort of the taste of mango came through. Um, what's your favourite form of movement? Um, yeah, well, I I try to move every day because for me, moving my body is about mental health. Um, I know I am manage so much better with my stress if I've moved my body, especially if it's outside. So, I'm torn between boxing and walking i think i, I used to be I, well i've done a lot of different sports in my life but 
I used to love running and I twisted my ankle and then and since then I've got this newfound love of walking and I use it as time to think, to plan, to listen to podcasts. So mm-hmm. I think it's very underrated. Um, yeah, walking probably. Yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a big walking fan as well. Long walks to um, if I can have one week out from driving or tubing or training, I'll I'll try and walk somewhere. Um, what does the word mm. nourished mean to you? Oh, um, I think to me, nourished means having having everything that you need to be healthy, to be happy, and to grow. So I think you can interpret that in different ways at different points in your life. But yeah, it's about being healthy, happy growing i love it that's kind of i I use all the plant motifs for for that exact reason um what what (laughs) one piece of advice you would give someone if they wanted to improve their relationship with food today what one short piece of advice would you give them um i think i would try to focus on mindset and i would say focusing not like changing your mindset from focusing on weight to focusing on health, you know, stop thinking about dieting in a traditional way, but think about what you can add instead of what you can remove, you know, how can you make your life better and make you feel better by what you can add to your diet and how can you improve your health in that way? Definitely. Amazing. Well, that's all my questions. Thank you so much for for joining. I now very much am craving mangoes. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, Claire. (laughs) Thank you, Casey. I hope you get to go and eat a mango.